Are you interested in applying to New York Medical College's MD program? Are you worried about the thousands of other applicants aiming for its roughly 200 spots? Tune into this podcast with its Associate Dean of Admissions for the inside scoop on NYMC Admissions. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Acceptance founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 474th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Now, calculating your GPA for med school can be difficult, especially if you are applying via MCAS, ACOMAS, and or TMDSAS. However, Accepted has a free tool that can really help you, our brand new and free GPA calculator. Enter your classes and credits to calculate your GPA and science GPA. If you are a couple of years away from applying, you can download the GPA calculator spreadsheet and assess the impact of your grades as you earn them. Or you can calculate the impact of different anticipated grades and see kind of what your GPA will be if you ace that course or if you take a hit. Just download the spreadsheet template at accepted.com slash medgpa, and you can use and update it as needed. It's yours. Plus, it's free. Download today from accepted.com slash medgpa. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Murray, Associate Dean of Admissions for the School of Medicine, at New York Medical College. Dr. Murray graduated from Cornell University with a bachelor's degree in biology and biological sciences. She immediately started medical school at NYMC, graduated in 1991. She then did her residency in OBGYN also at NYMC and has been an attending physician and associate professor at NYMC since 2003. She became the associate dean for admissions for the School of Medicine at NYMC in 2018. Welcome, Dean Murray, to Admissions Straight Talk. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Linda. My pleasure. Can you give us, just to start, can you give us an overview of NYMC's approach to medical education, focusing on its more distinctive elements? Absolutely. New York Medical College has recently underwent a revamping of their uh, curriculum. This was geared towards the changes that's happening as the, with the USMLE. Unlike the traditional medical school where you had like two years of full straight lecture courses followed by two years of clinical, we're actually starting our clinicals early. So they start out and they've kind of changed the way they're they're, they're teaching it. It starts out during the first year with like the fundamentals and the fundamentals go from say August to March. And then starting in March of your first year, you start your systems. So your systems-based learning starts in April of your first year and continues through to February of your second year. Um, Usually somewhere between the end of February and March, somewhere you usually take your step one. And immediately after your step one, you start your clinical in April of your second year. So your clinical start April of your second year and run straight through into your fourth year and graduation. So we've put a little bit more clinical in there and start the clinical a little earlier. A lot of students, when they go to medical school, it's really just, they want to put that white coat on and, yeah, and get out yeah. and start seeing patients. So you do see some of that in your first year during your uh, fundamentals. You may have a preceptor you meet with like once a week, and then your core clinical rotation start at the end of your second year, like prior to getting into third year. So you have a little bit more than two years of clinical rotations, correct? Absolutely. Yes. That is unusual. 
Okay. Now, a lot of times uh, there are myths about specific schools, or maybe there's something that people don't tend to know about a specific school. Is there anything that you would like listeners to know about New York Medical College that many applicants don't realize, or perhaps a myth that you would like to dispel? Well, I would like all the applicants to know that New York Medical College follows the holistic review of the application and the applicant. So this is something that comes down from AMCAS, where we use the EAM. EAM stands for Experience, Attributes, and Metrics, where each is weighted equally. So um, your experience comes from whatever kind of medical research, clinical experience you may have that you put in your application. Your metrics are pretty obvious. That would be your MCAT or your GPA. And then your attributes come from your personal statement, the MMI interview, and any letters of recommendation that you have. And keep in mind that it's holistic, so each part is equal. Because sometimes I think students feel that if I have a 520 on my MCATs, I'm going to definitely get in. Or if they didn't get in and they have a 520, then they're like, well, why didn't I get in? So we have to remember that the the interview process is a part of it and the experiences is a part of it. So you may have like good letters, you may interview well, you have good metrics, but you've done absolutely nothing in the medical field, right? So there has to be a full, full, well-rounded individual. So that's what we're looking for. I think one of the biggest myths out there in um, pre-med students is that you have to be a science. You really don't have to be a science major to be a doctor. I always encourage folks to just do something that they like doing, that they love doing, expand and find out all the different sides of them. The only thing that's required is your prerequisites, which are your your biology, your, your physics, your chemistry, your English organic chemistry, and you know some schools require biochemistry. So those are your prerequisites. Like other from that, nothing else is required. So I think a lot of students go into college being a biology major or a chemistry major thinking that they need to do that to get into medical school. And sometimes what happens is when you take this major, along with this major comes other upper level classes that are more challenging and more difficult and are not really required by medical schools. And you may not really love them. <laughs> You may, well, you may not really love them and you have to work really hard because the one thing you want to do when you're applying to medical school, make sure your MCAT score is good, make sure your GPA is good, you know, so you really want to make sure that you spend time doing the things you really like doing and not wasting time doing stuff just to fulfill your, your undergraduate major. Right, right. Just to fulfill your erroneous understanding of what medical schools want also. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. When I was preparing for the call, basically, something caught my eye, and it was something called the House Advisory Deans Program. Can you tell me what that is? Well, if you think back to Harry Potter, it's something similar to that, the houses, right? (laughs) Okay. So um, this has been around now, I want to say probably like somewhere between eight to 10 years now, we've come up with this system. And what happens is each student is put in a house when they come into school, and each house dean has about 80 students or so per class. So you have 80 first years, second years, third years, fourth years. And you know, within each, each house, you can do like peer tutoring. You know, every once in a while they have like, you know, sports competition between the houses, but it's really just to form some kind of congeniality between the students of the different classes. Is it a residential program? Are, are students all living in these houses? Or is oh, it, no, no. Um, These are not physical houses. It's I'm not sorry. physical houses. No, they're not physical houses. These are theoretical houses. <laughs> Got it. Okay. They're social groups, basically. It's social group. Yes. It. It's a social okay. group. And then there's an advisory dean that heads up that social group. And the advisory dean also acts as a mentor for everyone in the house. And so 
you know, they will, they will meet with each student depending on the year, at least once a year so that they can counsel them and give them feedback. And then as you get closer to your third and fourth year where you're looking for specialties, a lot of these um, advisory deans are also specialists. And so they can give you specialty advice or they can direct you to someone who can give you specialty advice. And we also have a few other doctors who are not a part of the program, the house deans program, who are also advisors. So we really try to make sure these students get like a full array of advising as they go through medical school. It sounds like a, they have a lot of support. Yes. Both social and, and educational, really. Yes, absolutely. Right. Now, New York Medical Secondary only requires one 300-character response. And I just want to repeat 300-character, not 300-word response. And it's to a COVID <laughs> question, right? Um, yes. It appears to be like the, the secondary is automatic. Is that correct? Yes, the secondary is automatic. Once you submit your primary application and you tell the, you basically tell MCAS where you want to apply, then it goes to the schools that you want to apply to and you get that automatic request for the secondary. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the question that I would have for you is why this specific question, this COVID question, please share any disruptions in your academic volunteer work and or personal life related to COVID-19 that you would like the admissions committee to consider. And do you have any plans to expand the secondary application or are you just happy with the primary and that one question? So I will tell you the history behind that one question. It actually came from AMCAS believe it or not, it was something that was generated during the pandemic. True, As during true. the pandemic, many students had their rotations interrupted, had their studies interrupted, had their MCATs interrupted. There was so many interruptions that happened. And MCAS thought it was a good idea to have a question like this, which allowed the applicants to give us an explanation if they did have one of these interruptions. So when you read their application, it could seem like their experiences were completely blank, right? Or if they only had a few experiences, then, you know, you would look to this question to get like more information as to why it was like that. So it was really geared towards helping the applicant by allowing the applicant to give us an explanation as to what happened or why that's, that's the way it is. You know, we also have a social media policy question as a part of the secondary application. And basically our social media policy question basically ask if there's anything that would, you know, show up to embarrass you in the medical school. Like, you know, have there been any cases of social media where there is an issue that might come up later on down the field? And so we also give the applicant a, ch a chance to talk about that and explain that. So, you know, that if something does come up that, you know, it's not a surprise. Right, right, okay. Any, any plans to expand the secondary? Add questions, or you're happy with the simple secondary? Well, right now, we'd have to get together and talk about it a little more. Right now, since COVID is still around and affecting a lot of things, we think it's really pertinent to have it that way. I think once we get out of the pandemic, we may think about other things that we could possibly ask the applicant. But for now, I think it's still relevant. And so because it's still relevant, I think it's a good thing to have. Definitely. Okay, great. Thank you. What are some of the more common mistakes you see applicants make more on their MCAS, the primary application, than, than the secondary, but in either one is, is fair game, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know, I think for that question, I have to, 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 to say, I think people somehow kind of gloss over the personal statement. And the personal statement is really the first time the college gets to know you, the person, like the rest of your application is really metrics and filling in metrics, filling in experiences, filling in different things, right? and your letter of recommendation you really have no control over, but your personal statement is all about you, right? And it's 
and it gives me a picture of who you are. So making sure your personal statement does not have like grammatical errors in it, that's uh, absolute. I mean, you'd be surprised how many personal statements we get that have grammatical errors. Sometimes have someone read over your personal statement, not because they're gonna change the content of it, but just to make sure it makes sense and to make sure you have no like errors within, the, in, within that itself. The other thing that people do in their personal statement is, and I'm not sure if they think it's something that's a good thing to do. They like to name people in their personal statement. It's really a better thing not to name anyone in your personal statement, but to be more generalized. You know, sometimes they may want to say, well, I worked with the chief of general surgery, you know, or I worked with the director of so-and-so. You know, it's really best to just kind of keep it more generic. Tell us what you do. Tell us what you want to talk about in your personal statement. And really just kind of leave people's names and certain details out of your personal statement. That's what I would say I found mostly. Do you find that people are more frequently too personal or are they more frequently too generic or are they sometimes basically presenting you with a resume in prose? Well, I think for, the, all most the, above? Part, I think for the most part, most people get it right. You know, okay. I think most people get it right for the most part, maybe 10% will, you know, try to give you more of that prose type of personal statement. And I mean, I think sometimes the applicants get it wrong in that they think that the personal statement is something that's supposed to make them look good, right? The personal statement is really to tell us a little bit about you, not to, you know, it's not supposed to be your platform to shine. It's supposed to be something that allows me to get to know who's Linda? What kind of person is Linda? What kind of doctor is Linda going to be? Right. Do you like it when they address the why do I want to be a doctor question? Well, that's the that's the actual quest. That's the question. Right. That is right. the true question. And a lot of times you get many personal statements where they've talked about a lot of things and it hasn't told you why they want to be a doctor. So that's so one of the mistakes. That's the, that's the question. So you really should answer the question, which is why do I want to be a doctor? Absolutely. Okay. Now NYMC requires the Casper. Does it? play a role in determining who gets an interview or is it more used in the final acceptance decision or is it both? Well, I think the CASPER helps overall in general. So the CASPER is a situational judgment test, right? So it tells me how you respond and how you would respond to certain situations and gives me an idea of you as the person. So it does help with the holistic review about bringing folks in for an interview but it also helps or is also a part of the full application that's reviewed as well. So it's not taken by itself, it's in addition to other things. And it again is looked at by the committee when they look at the application in a whole. Got it, thank you. And now a word from accepted sponsor. There is enough to worry about when applying to medical school. Don't stress about how to request and submit your confidential letters of recommendation. Sign up for Interfolio for an easy way to gather and save your important academic materials for applications. Simply visit interfolio.com backslash accepted and use the code accepted22 for 10% off. That's interfolio.com backslash accepted for 10% off. And now back to the show. What process does an application go through when it's complete? You've gotten the primary, you've gotten the secondary, you've gotten the Casper. Should you interview them or not? What's going to happen to it? Well, basically, once they finish the primary application, they select the school that they wanted to go to, and it comes to New York Medical College, and then they get our secondary application. Mm -hmm. They fill out our secondary application and they pay their fee. And then the application gets reviewed by the admissions committee and um, 
and the screening committee. And then applicants are chosen from through that screening process to be invited for interviews. The applicants are sent an invitation for an interview. And when they sent the invitation for the interview, they're given a list of dates. So the applicants actually choose the days they come in for interview. So whether they come in early, middle of the cycle or later on in the cycle, that is their choice. They actually pick their date of interview. And once they've picked their date of interview, we send them all the information they need for the actual interview itself. The day of the interview, they come in, they go through their MMI, because we use the multiple mini interview. They go through their MMI. Once they're finished with their MMI, then that's MMI is compiled. It's put together with their application and it is forwarded to the admissions committee for review. The admissions committee meets twice a month. So usually the applicants get a decision anywhere four to six weeks after their interview about whether or not they're accepted, put on the wait list or whether or not they're rejected. Okay. Now you mentioned that a couple of times that you're doing the MMI for the upcoming cycle. Are you planning to be in person? The upcoming cycle, we've made a decision to be virtual. We were, we've been going through a lot of different things. So we looked at being in person, being hybrid, being virtual. We took a survey of a lot of the other medical schools in New York. And so far, I think about 10 out of 12 medical schools are doing completely virtual. I think two are thinking about hybrid, but we've decided to go virtual because unfortunately, you know, the cycle starts in September. So as soon as the first cycle ends, as soon as this cycle ends, this cycle ends, um, when the class starts at the end of July, the second cycle starts, right? And actually there's a little bit of overlap. So you kind of have to know what you're doing pretty early in the, you know, to get it the ball rolling. So we actually have to start planning for the next cycle by like the beginning of right. July. Right. Until the end of July. So you kind of have to start ahead of time. And right now COVID's on the uptick again. So, you know, it's, it's even more contagious and more prevalent than it was before. Not as serious in terms of the illness and it's not as unknown as it was two years ago, but still it's on the uptick. So um, we've made the decision to go virtual. If COVID is under control or it's either turned into the common cold or it's disappeared, that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be um, great. Would it be nice? Do you see yourself going back to in-person interviews? I think if COVID's not here, I think one thing COVID has taught us that there are a lot of things that we can do without spending so much money, right? So I think it used to be very costly for the applicants to fly everywhere and stay in a hotel and do all these other things. So I think if COVID was not an issue, we'd probably go with a hybrid model where we'd give the applicant the choice of whether they wanted to fly in or they wanted to just do virtual. And we talked about this, we probably have a couple of virtual days and a couple of in-person days, just so we've set them up structurally different. So, you know, we'd, we'd offer out, you know, days, because we talked about this. We talked about this. I'm sure you've talked about, about this, yeah. Because we're thinking about doing it. So we would send out the, the invitation for the interview and let you know, this is a virtual day, this is an in-person day, this is a virtual day, in-person day. That way the applicant would choose which, which they wanted to do. So I think, I think that's probably the wave of the future. Okay. Yeah. It, it, from interviewing different medical schools, I would agree with you. Um, I, I don't think any, I haven't, I don't think I've talked to a medical school admissions director who said, we're going to go back to all in person. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I think it's shown us that we can get just as much accomplished without all the extra expenditure, both on the students and on the college itself. True. Because True. you still have to host them, like, you know, when they come in person. Right. Right. One of the things where medical schools vary enormously is their attitude towards updates. 
you know, from applicants. Mm -hmm. uh, some schools basically say it goes right in the trash bin. I have a trash bin right over there. <laughs> and others say, no, we welcome updates from applicants. We welcome it at certain points. Where does NYMC stand? Well, we welcome um, updates. And you can send in your update as long as you are still active in the cycle. So usually um, we get, you know, we get updates mostly throughout the cycle in the beginning as people get stuff accomplished and different things done. Once folks are accepted, you usually don't get as many updates on those patients, those students, <laughs> but, but the ones who are on the wait list, you may get a lot of updates from them up until the point where this, the class starts. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, now, I know you yourself went directly from college to, me to medical school. Uh, I think gap years are much more common today than they were when you went to medical school. How do you just encourage or discourage gap years, or is it an individual decision in your opinion? I, in my opinion, it's an individual decision. I think what you need to do is take a look at your application. If your application is one where you could use some more clinical experience, then I would say you would take a gap year to get that clinical experience that you, that you don't have, because you want to present yourself as a well-rounded person to this admissions committee for acceptance. And if you see where your application is, it, like, what else could I do to improve my application? Nothing. It's perfect the way it is. Then why not go ahead and apply? So that's how I would say definitely on an individual basis. Okay, great. And um, how do you look at, I mean, there's been an epidemic of, of mental health issues, certainly during COVID, but I think it started before then. How do you look at candidates who have faced mental health issues? So when it comes to mental health issues, we actually don't know anything about whether or not the applicant because that is a voluntary thing that the applicants will tell us. So the applicant may choose not to tell us that during the cycle. It's not a required reporting to us. So we don't know whether or not the applicant's there unless the applicant chooses to divulge that. And it is not used as a part of the application, whether for acceptance or rejection. So it is not something that we use. We actually do have um, listed on our website or folks in our developmental department who will have their number listed so that the applicants can actually um, reach out to them directly if they have a mental health issue and they want to talk to them about something or they want to talk about any particular part of their application. And that's not something that's communicated to us. That is completely between them. So it's not something that's communicated to the admissions committee and or to the admissions office. So we've set that up in a way that they have that option to reach out to someone confidentially to get that information to them and that they can get whatever resources they need to them as well part of the admissions committee. And that's for applicants or for current students? For applicants. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, for yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, how would you, um, how would you look at a candidate who perhaps has a criminal record or um, academic infraction on their record? And again, that's something that's pretty individualized because it all depends on what it is, right? And so when we, it happened. And when it happened. And sometimes you have applicants who consistently get like an academic infarction or applicants who are caught with, the most common, believe it or not, is alcohol. They're always caught with underage drinking, right? <laughs> that's the right, biggest, right. biggest red flag. So if we banned everybody who had an alcohol issue, then <laughs> half the medical school would be gone. <laughs> so, you know, it really is taken on an individual basis and seeing whether or not like they made a mistake, they learned from their mistake, seeing what the criminal infarction was. We do a criminal background check on our accepted applicants who are 
committed to our school. So once they've committed to be a part of the class, they actually get a criminal background check, but not before that. So they've gone through the process, they're accepted, and now they're committed to come to us. And at that point in time, that they we do a criminal background check. What recommendations would you have for the reapplicant to NYMC? So as in anything, I think someone has to be realistic, right? So when you are not accepted, you need to sit down and look at your application and say, what was I missing? What could I improve? And based on what that is, I would say focus your time in doing that. So if you had an MCAT score that was on the lower side, right, you may benefit from retaking your MCAT. So study really hard, retake your MCAT and try to improve that grade. If you looked at your application, you're like, well, I had a couple hours of community service here and there, but nothing really, you know, then maybe take that gap year to do a nice clinical rotation or some kind of research or something to enhance your um, experiences. And, you know, sometimes you can talk to admissions officers and see, you know, say, you know what, what was my application missing? You know, can you tell me why I didn't get in? Can you give me some feedback? And I know some schools are willing to do that. It's hard to do it for everyone who applies, but I know some people are willing to do that if you do reach out to them. Now, you, you've mentioned several times the importance of clinical exposure and community service. Is, is research something that's really important to NYMC? Research is not required, no. Not required. But you know, the way we look at it is, is it's like you're applying for a job, right? So how do you apply for a job if you know absolutely nothing about the field, absolutely nothing about medicine itself? So we want to see that you've had some interest and you've gone out and you've explored your interest and see that, you know what, this is for me. I like this. You know, you could do some shadowing with some folks. That's fairly like, it, it, it doesn't take a lot. doesn't cost a lot to do shadowing. You shouldn't shadow for 5,000 hours. So I don't think you need 5,000 hours of shadowing to decide whether or not you want to be a doctor, but, you know, really get out there and, you know, see the field, learn about the field. You know, some folks have gotten jobs like working as medical assistants or something like that, or, you know, so they get some exposure some other way. Yeah. Or EMS, EMTs, there are lots of people who are EMTs who do it that way, but you have to show us that you've, you've, you've really looked into it and not just shown up cold, right? So you applied to law school, you didn't get in. So I'm going to apply to medical school. You know, you have to kind of show us that this is something that you really have a passion for and you really want to do this. Okay. How was NYMC's application volume this year, in other words, the 2021-2022 cycle, compared to the previous year, 2020-2021, and to the 2019-2020 cycle, the last pre-COVID cycle? So usually we have anywhere around about 11,000, 12,000 applications pre-COVID. We used to be 10,000, we crept up to being about 11,000. the year of COVID, the first year of COVID, we had a boom up to 15,000 applications. Wow. Yeah. So there were a lot of people interested in being doctors. And then for this past cycle, we went back down to 12,000, which is still up from the 11,000, yeah. but it's, it's, it's down from the 15 that it was the year That's, before. I think, pretty common when I yeah. kind of ask this question. I think a lot of people either found their mission or wanted to, you know, or they thought it was a nice opportunity because they figured, you know, you would be like no MCATs required. But, you know, the thing about the MCATs is most people take it a year or two before they actually apply to medical school. So for the actual pandemic, most people already had their MCATs. It's like after that, that, you know, they would have been a deficit, but luckily they've opened it back up again. So, right. Now I've interviewed several um, admissions directors for 
medical schools associated with a Jesuit university, Loyola Stritch, uh, Georgetown. And I believe that NYMC at this point is associated with Turo, which is under yeah. Jewish auspices. Is yes. there any influence or, or difference that you feel that that makes? I don't think so. I really don't think it makes a difference. I think um, the school still has kept the same policies and a mission statement. And so none of that has really changed, even though we're on the Jewish auspices. So we haven't really um, done that. We've tried to have some communication with Torah University because Torah is now a university. We have been working a little bit with Toro, trying to see how we could get like a tract for like a link, linkage. Yes, yeah. that's a linkage program. Yeah. So, mm. but nothing really beyond that right now. All right. Now, one question. This is from a podcast listener. I, I really like this question, so I've started using it a lot. If okay. you were a pre-med student, and you obviously one time were, what is the one thing you would be doing to prepare yourself for medical school? The one thing that I think is the best preparation is to do well as an undergraduate. Okay. Right? Do well as an undergraduate, pay attention to your courses. I think sometimes people look beyond where they are instead of being focused in the moment. And I think it's really good to stay focused in the moment and get in through where you are. And then once you're where you, you're through that, then you look to the future. Right. So I know you asked me for one thing, but I think doing well in more than courses. one it's okay <laughs> no but i think doing well in your courses prepares you for your mcats sure right right and, and also you know the other thing that i would say is get some good experiences under your belt right i think it's tough for, for medical school i'm not i'm not a physician i never did the pre-med thing it's it's very tough for for applicants though to fit in the pre-med requirements take the mcat do the clinical, do the community service. And if they are interested in research, do some research. I know that's not, not important for NYMC. And, and I and think that's why folks do a gap year. Exactly. Exactly. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Or you have to start really early. You know, right. you can't start as a, as a senior in college because you're just not going to have enough time. No. You know, no. I, my suggestion is, you know, if this is something you think you're interested in, start in your high school, like you're as a high school senior or as like a freshman, you know, Spend some time in your summer, you know, take your summers off and, and enjoy yourself and relax, but take some time out of the summer to do some investigational stuff and some volunteer work and, and get some experiences that way. So you can like kind of slowly build up and it shows a couple of years of, of, um, of doing it versus, you know, trying to get it all in at the end. And it's just not possible to get it all in at the end. Hey, it also means you're pursuing the right path. Yes. If you explore something and you don't like it, that's, that's great. <laughs> then try something right. else. Try something else. Exactly. <laughs> right. What would you have liked me to ask you? I think, you know what? I think I talk about my job so much that I might've answered questions that you didn't even ask. So <laughs> please go ahead. No, no, no. I think I answered most everything. You, you answered I, everything I asked. That's for sure. Yeah. And quite well. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, I, I don't think there's anything that's missing though. All right. Thank you. Well, Dr. Murray, I think we're almost out of time. This has been just a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can listeners learn more about New York Medical College School of Medicine? Sure. nymc.edu is our general website. And once you get on the website, you'll see links to many different places. And there's one for admissions. You can click on the admissions link to learn a little bit more about admissions. You can learn about our mission statement. You can learn a lot about us. So that's our general webpage. And then you can go from there. 
Thank you so much. We're going to include links in the show notes at exhibit.com slash 474 to New York Medical College's School of Medicine, as well as to other resources that may be helpful to you listeners. Listener, thank you too for joining us for our 474th episode. If you find the show worthwhile, please subscribe. Make sure you don't miss any future shows, be they with deans, admissions directors, professors, current students, test prep pros, or alumni doing great things. Quick reminder, don't miss Accepted's Med GPA Calculator. Calculate your undergrad and science GPAs using this free tool. You can download it today at accepted.com slash med GPA. Again, that's accepted.com slash med GPA. This is Admission Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>